0: I'm Taylor, and welcome to a very special summer episode of Square Mile of Murder. Uh, Before we get into this week's episode, we have some housekeeping to take care of. Uh, Firstly, thank you to everyone who voted for us at the British Podcast Awards. It really does mean a lot to us that you took the time out to vote. Yeah, super cool. So thank you. I mean, we we already know that we're not going to win, but
1: no, it's still nice. But it's cool. It know, makes like, us feel good. We've gotten a couple messages from people being like, oh, "I voted for you in the w- awards," and like, people we're not related to in any way, shape, or form. So yeah. that's really cool, and that's um, we really appreciate that. And and it's kind of it's like a nice little reminder that there are people listening to this. Yeah, it is always nice. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like sometimes we forget. <laughs>
0: Yeah, cuz sometimes it's just like talking into the void. It's like Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to hang out with my friend for 2 hours today and talk about something. At least. <laughs> which, <laughs> which I mean is what we used to do in the pub. Yes, true. Didn't we? We'd go, we'd get like bowler chips, gobbler drinks and talk about true crime for like 2 hours. Yes. And literally anything else we thought of. So That's true.
1: So we've just we've just shifted locale a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um the ceremony is being held uh, this coming Sunday. The I think it's the tenth of July, but unlike last year, you have to pay to live stream it. So uh. we're well, obviously not in London, um, so we shall not be partaking in the festi- festivities
1: this year. Yes. Um. But well, thank you anyway. <laughs> yeah. But it's what is it? It's an honor to be nominated. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. It's just really cool, and we appreciate it so. Thank you very much for that. Our, our second matter of uh, business, I suppose, <laughs> is that we've had a few messages recently from people asking us, what is Patreon? And like, how does it work? So oh, we thought we'd kind of talk about that for a sec. Basically, Patreon is a platform which allows creators to run a subscription service and makes it easier for creators to actually earn a living from their creative projects. Yeah. So we have a Patreon. You may have heard us mention it. Um, uh, So our Patreon has uh, a number of different subscription levels, um, starting at just one pound per month. Uh, So for one pound a month, you get regular episodes ad-free and a day early than on the main feed. Uh, You get a shout-out on the show after you sign up. You get a lifetime discount on Square Mile merch uh, and priority case requests. And Patreon gives you, like, a direct line to our inbox, basically. So. Well, we're always check- keeping an eye on that and seeing what people are saying or sending us messages on there. So that too. Yeah, because social media, I've noticed,
0: especially Instagram, well, actually Facebook as well, is like filtering out so many messages lately.
1: Yes, it is.
0: and not showing up. Yeah. So when they, no- they don't come through as notifications, but they don't show up when you like go into Instagram itself. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff
1: does get lost. So um, we don't
0: mean to. It's an accident.
1: Yeah, so uh, all that you get access to for just one pound a month. Um, The next level up is two pounds per month, which uh, gets you everything included in the one pound level, as well as some exclusive merch that you cannot buy anywhere else um, that we will send out to you after your second month as a patron. Uh, And you get our bonus monthly ramble episode every month uh and we go completely off script during that and talk about literally anything uh to some interesting results over the last few months <laughs> since we've started it so <laughs> highly yeah. recommend
0: yeah i can't what was last month we had uh, seasonal allergies yeah yeah allergies uh, pet rabbits rabbits running something this month is going to be fun because i'm about to go take part in the biggest covid test pilot event yeah i'm very excited everyone else is terrified i'm so excited sounds not fun to me personally but but, (laughs) i mean the rules are that you don't wear a mask and i'm like no 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 i'm not following that rule no no (laughs) i'm wearing like three (laughs) i was just like
1: get like a beekeeper helmet kind of (laughs) thing That's what I'm going for. <laughs> yeah. Um so yes, th- those are fun and weird and if you want if you like hearing us talk about stuff but want something other than pure true crime, that's that's your that's your best option. I apologize if there's a weird hum behind my audio. The neighbors have decided it's a good time to use their power washer. And I mm. I can't do much about that. So I'm sorry in advance if it's an issue. (laughs) And I'm sorry to me in the future who has to edit this. Good luck. (laughs) Um, Yes. So uh, after two pounds, we have a five pound per month tier that gets you all of that previous stuff plus a full length bonus episode uh, every month. And if you're so inclined, you could sign up for 10 pounds a month. Where you get two bonus episodes as well as the monthly ramble, the merch discount, and everything else included in the other tiers as well. So that's how it works. Yeah. And if this sounds like something
0: you'd like to do, head on over to patreon.com forward slash square mile of murder and sign up. You can pay monthly or annually, and there's more there's more than a year's worth of bonus episodes waiting for you to just like check out right now. Yeah. So you can like pay monthly. There's no commitment and cancel at any time. So you could like sign up up for like two months, get all
1: the old all the episodes, and then cancel. Yeah. So if you sign up for the ten pound tier, you have access to our entire archive of bonus episodes. That's every bonus episode that we have ever put up on Patreon, and you get that access immediately. Like you don't have to wait. You just it's there so if you have the the gumption to sit down and listen to like 50 bonus episodes in a month or whatever it is god bless you <laughs> you could do that yeah i don't think there's quite 50 there's
0: but there's a lot a lot so there's at least 30 See, one a day for a month.
1: See, there you go. So, yeah, so that's definitely something you can do. We we have no qualms about that if you're interested. But a, a, a thing, like, that I would love to say is that, like, I want people to hear these bonus episodes, because some yeah. of them ended up, we put ended up putting in, like, a lot of research and a lot of time, and, like, nobody's ever heard them, so... Yeah. Except our mothers. Except well, they don't count, and I don't
0: think they're actually listening. They don't count. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so, like, yeah, uh, if if you like what we do here, we often basically do that on the Patreon, just more. Um, yeah. And we've also we've had some really like fun bonus episodes as well. So yeah yes we got a whole episode just on florida men yes so like do if you're interested in any of those things do check that out um and if you're not interested in patreon and just want us to stop talking about it that's fine too uh the main show here will always be free and we're obviously very grateful to all of our listeners for spending an hour or sometimes more listening to us every week um so yeah, that's that's that. Uh, yeah, uh, on to today's actual topic. Oh, I should say, recently, in the past couple weeks, our episodes have chapters now. So if you're ever listening to an episode and you want to skip the intro, you can do no! that now. That's um, cool. And yeah, so I've been trying to make them kind of like make sense, like... So if it's like you're talking about a a killer and so it's like early life, crimes, capture, trial, aftermath, like that kind of thing. So, Oh, that's so cool. Th- there should, if your podcast app allows, you should be able to skip around and, and get to places that you want to get to. So, so something to explore if if you desire. So normally... In a
0: pre-COVID world, this time of year sees our social media dashes flooded with pictures from friends, family, influencers, celebrities, what feels like everybody, just posting about their upcoming summer trips or throwbacks to trips they took earlier in the spring or earlier in the summer or on spring break, and for those of us at home who for whatever reason just can't get away for the summer or spring break or winter getaway or whatever, there is a definite level of FOMO. And if you're not down with the kids, that's fear of missing out. Yeah. A few of us will admit to being this awful, but some of us, when we see people's holiday going wrong in some way, there's a certain level of glee. Especially when it comes to influencers and the rich and famous complaining online.
1: Yeah. And
0: yes, I will admit to being one of those people.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so it's bad enough when this happens and it's all over your social media. But what about when you are one of the thousands of people whom this has happened to? And instead of a few hundred or thousand followers or friends, uh, actually it's unfolding in front of the world's media and billions of people are gleefully laughing at your misfortune. (laughs) Well, for thousands of people who headed to the Bahamas for the trip of a lifetime, in spring 2017, they were about to find out. Uh, now, most of us are at least slightly aware of the complete and utter fiasco that was the Fire Festival in 2017. We know about the supermodels and the influencers who were paid thousands of dollars to promote the festival, and of course, <laughs> that infamous cheese sandwich tweet. But what about the series of bad decisions uh, that led to this? Clusterfuck of events that the world's media and onlookers dubbed the Hunger Games Influencer Edition. So, (laughs) let's dive headfirst into the company that promised you the chance to live like the rich and famous on a deserted Caribbean island for the weekend, but turned out to be a fruitless, fraudulent festival. Also, I would like to say, up until I watched the documentary about this festival, because i am dyslexic i thought it was the fry festival <laughs> and it it's really hard for me to read it correctly so i apologize in advance if i get it wrong see i'm lucky the
0: first time i heard about it someone had said it uh. so that cuz i think i'd have the same problem otherwise
1: That's all I can see.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, Fire didn't start as a luxurious music festival on a remote island in the Bahamas. It was actually part of a larger parent company called Fire Media. Oh, fresh hell is this?
1: Sorry, pop ups.
0: Your McAfee protection has expired. Yeah, no shit.
1: Well, so has McAfee now. is that that in poor taste
0: i mean the guy's a sexual well was a sexual predator and quite possibly a murderer so no No. well there you go (laughs) so it was actually part of a larger parent company called fire media which has been described had it actually come to fruition as being the uber of booking talent um Sophia was being marketed as a website and app through which you could book all kinds of talent from musicians, actors, influencers, socialites, everyone for your event. It essentially cut out the middle step of having to go through agencies who can be notoriously difficult to contact if you're not in the industry yourself. And one of the big promotion claims was that you could use this app to book Ja Rule for your birthday party probably had to be like really stinking fucking rich to afford to pay ja Rule to come to your birthday party. But that was the idea behind your app. You didn't you could have been, like a small event or even just an individual throwing some kind of party. Yeah. And you could book talent. <laughs> now, you may be thinking, if you don't know the full story, of Fire, why Ja Rule? Sure, he was a huge name like ten, fifteen years ago and Made a career for himself in the music industry behind the scenes. Why was he such a marketing point for Fire? Well, Ja Rule was one of the founders of the app alongside young tech entrepreneur called Billy McFarland. And boy, is there a lot to say about Billy McFarland?
1: Yeah. Uh, where where do we even start with Billy? So. Billy McFarland is the son of two real estate developers. He was born in New York City in late 1991 and raised in New Jersey.
0: 1991. He is the same age as... He's actually younger than us. I legit thought he was in his 40s. Like, I thought he was so much older than us. Yeah. And when I realized he was actually younger than us, I, like, spun out on that for two days. I was like, <laughs> no. Like, I am 30 in a couple... T- well, by the time this comes out, I will... my birthday will have passed i will be 30 yeah
1: we have not accomplished half of the things <laughs> we've not conned nearly enough people no uh i think so i watched the documentary about this like not too long after it came out and like uh i think i thought he was like mid 30s yeah <laughs> um yeah so and Appropriately enough, according to New York Post article, McFarland claimed to have launched his first startup when he was thirteen, uh, which uh, has been described as a quote online outsourcing service that matched web designers with clients. So that would have been two thousand and four, two thousand and five. Yeah. Uh, after graduating high school in two thousand ten, so yeah, he he would have been the class below me. Yeah. He studied computer engineering at Bucknell University in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, but he dropped out before the end of his freshman year. After dropping out, he started a, quote, content sharing platform called Spling, which is a terrible name. Mm. Um, and this is sometimes referred to as an advertising platform, but that was pretty short lived. Yeah, I couldn't find anything else about that. Probably for the best. Yeah. But McFarland didn't give up, and in 2013 he was back, and he launched the startup that got him noticed, Magnesis. Now, Magnesis was a card-based membership club aimed at high-flying millennials in New York City. Members were given a metal black card, which has been compared to Amex's black card. Although, unlike Amex... Magnesis's black card wasn't a credit card. Instead, the Magstripe on the Magnesis card was a replica of the member's card from either a Wells Fargo or Bank of America bank card. But the card did have benefits such as exclusive events, VIP event access, networking opportunities, and hotel discounts. Uh, and this is where Jaw Rule comes into the picture. So, am I right in. In reading this, that the card just interfaces with someone's personal bank account. You're not like borrowing yeah. money or anything.
0: No, it was it was essentially it was like the metal it was like a metal card like a black card, but the mag strip was literally a replica of your own bank card, okay. so when it swiped, it went directly through your bank. okay. Um, according to clips from a tech conference uh, featured on the Fire documentary on Netflix, McFarland had tried to book Jarrell for a Magnesis event and was struggling. And goes through a series of like middlemen. It's all told in a very comical way, but eventually managed to book. Uh, managed to book Jarrell, and he became a regular fix fixture around McFarland and the Magnesis clubhouse in the West Village, and. I think, but I couldn't figure out, like, I couldn't find definitive, like, proof. I think Jarrell had, like, um, almost like a managing kind of role within Magnesis. Mm -hmm. Like, he got involved with the running of it and the sort of building of it Mm -hmm. into this big sort of club, like, membership club type of thing. And this is where the idea for Fire Media and the Fire app was conceived. But as Fire Media began to develop, Magnesis began to nosedive. (laughs) Uh, The company had already had to move from their West Village penthouse in 2016 after accusations that McFarland and his associates had trashed the place. Um, They'll deny these claims. Of course. But as the year went on, things just got worse for Magnesis. Unlike Amex, whose initiation fee was, at the time, seven and a half thousand dollars with an annual cost on top of that of $2,500. Magnesis had no initiation fee, the annual cost was only $250, and there was no minimum spend. But there came a time when even that wasn't value for money. Magnesis' members weren't your average millennials just hustling trying to make it in New York City. They were only admitted into Magnesis if Billy and his friends deemed them to be cool enough. And uh, to be cool enough, you were either an influencer, artist, athlete, they had some Olympians, as well as, of course, the young elites, high-flying professionals. In short, people were handpicked because they had decent disposable income, and preferably came from family money as well. Magnesis expanded into other large cities, including Chicago and DC, and allegedly according to McFarland, had
1: more than 10,000 members at its height. So Magnesis members began to report that their reservations for restaurants were being cancelled at the last minute, uh, and tickets to events were also cancelled or rescheduled at the last minute, except some of them weren't rescheduled. But at the same time, they weren't being refunded either, which is suspicious
0: theft is what it is
1: (laughs) i mean yes a fraud fraud now not only this the company had originally been funded using money from venture capitalist investors and reportedly the investors weren't being paid despite mcfarland's claims uh that the company was earning millions of dollars in fees This is not taking into account the fact that McFarlane was living the high life, running around in Maseratis, living it up in penthouses, dressing in designer clothes and hanging out with uh, his celebrity pals and the social elite as if he were one of them and as if he had the same kind of money as them, which he did not. (laughs) So in 2017, after Fire Festival, people began to look a little bit more closely at Magnesis and how it was run, uh, including some asking questions about whether or not the membership fee was really worth it, and others dubbing it another of McFarland's scams. The company stopped allowing prospective new members to apply and then quietly disappeared.
0: But as Magnesis was winding down, Fire was heating up. And as a team of developers worked on the app, McFarlane, Jarul, and other heads of Fire Media began brainstorming ways to launch and market the website and app. And this is where the festival was born, as one of the teams suggested a concert aimed at industry professionals to introduce them to the app, which evolved into an immersive luxury music festival over two weekends for like 10,000 people on a deserted island. In the Bahamas. (laughs) And thus, Fire Festival was born. God. It's a
1: big leap.
0: (laughs) It is, but it's also a, like, conceptually, it's brilliant. Yeah. Let's throw this, like, big, essentially a big party in the islands. Let's get industry professionals. So we'll get, like, people from the music industry, like, influencers. Socialites will get some normals here so that they can spread the word of the app. You know, it's... Quite frankly, it's a brilliant marketing idea. It's
1: a good idea. Just everything else after that... <laughs> Just wasn't.
0: Yeah. So, according to Industry Insiders, you should begin the planning phase of a music festival at least a year to 18 months before you plan to hold the event. Which means if you're holding an annual event as McFarland and the rest of them were planning to make it a, like, a yearly event for at least five years. um, You need to have a team to begin to work on the second event before the first one is even started. Huh. Problem is, McFarland, Ja Rule, the rest of the team, weren't really keen on the long-term planning idea, though. And six months out, work began on the promo video for the festival.
1: Sure. Good God. So, the festival team flew to a remote island in the Exumas called Norman's Key, which McFarlane claimed that he had bought. Uh, keep that in mind. Uh, so, they flew out to Norman's Key with a bunch of supermodels, including Emily Ratajkowski, Bella Hadid, Haley Baldwin, and Kendall Jenner. According to the team who produced the promo video, there was no real plan for the commercial. It was just kind of a case of film everything string it together with some stock footage and make it you know fomo inducing enough that tickets would sell like hotcakes the models spent a few days partying with ja rule and mcfarland and generally just having a good time and you know living out the kind of lifestyles that we see plastered all over sort of celebrity instagram kind of stuff uh, the Netflix doc shows archive footage from this trip and demonstrates just how little planning went into everything when it seemed that the models didn't know when they were supposed to post about the trip or who they were meant to be tagging in the posts, with the head of marketing, Grant, complaining, quote, Why aren't they fucking tagging us? And Ja Rule shouting at the women to start hashtagging Fire Festival in all of their posts. Seems like great management all around. <laughs> The team eventually
0: got their shit together, and on December twelfth, the models all posted the infamous, or now infamous, orange square on Instagram with a caption along the lines of "See you at Fire Festival," along with four hundred other influencers around the world, and they were known as the Fire Starters.
1: See, I have to say, I should have realized that it was fire earlier, because. <laughs> fry starters does not have the same effect no fry starters sounds like you know yeah good old greasy spoon local cafe yeah 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 it's like the the first job you get in a fast food kitchen you're the fry starter (laughs) you're not the fry (laughs) finisher you're the fry starter (laughs) the promo
0: then dropped and you can still watch it on youtube because the fire youtube page still exists and the link is in the show notes should you wish to go and watch
1: it and laugh and laugh and laugh
0: <laughs> ticket prices ranged from 500 to $250,000 so that's 361 pound to 181,000 pound
1: buy a nice could buy a real nice house for that
0: yeah and uh reportedly sold 98% of their tickets within 48 hours But there was a slight problem. And we're going to get to a lot of slight problems as we go on. And not so slight problems. But here's the first. Remember the private island that MacFarland had supposedly bought? Well, he hadn't actually bought it. He'd just leased it. And there's a lot of history in this tiny tiny island. So Norman's Key was once owned by Carlos Rivas, who was a co-founder of the Medellin cartel. Um, he may not be as well known as his late business partner, Pablo Escobar, but it is no secret that the island was used by the cartel to run drugs through the Caribbean and into the USA. It's very close to Miami. I didn't actually realize how close the Bahamas is to Florida. Yes. I think I forget how close the Caribbean is to that bit of, like, southeast uh, US. That's very close. Yeah. And... Part of the lease agreement McFarland had made with the owners was that they couldn't make any reference to the cartel or to Rivas or Escobar in the promotion of the festival, or the contract would be terminated immediately. Cause the owner wanted to clean up the island's image. Yeah, and it's pr- pretty much like a a deserted island at this point. There's a runway. I don't know if it's inhabited. Hmm. Um. But yeah, they wanted to like clean up the image and. Stop it being associated with Escobar and the Medellin cartel and cocaine. It's Fair enough. So, this doesn't sound like an outlandish request. No. What do you suppose was mentioned in the first few seconds of the promo? Formerly owned by Pablo Escobar. Duh. Yeah. I mean, that's not true to start with, but you know. (laughs) Well, he didn't actually own it, but... It was in their lease that they couldn't make reference to him, or Revis or the cartel. Yeah. So the island's owner terminated the contract and kicked them off the island, which led to a, like, mad scramble to find somewhere else to host the festival.
1: Oh, boy. So this was in the January. January. And the festival was supposed to happen when? June? End of April. Oh, April. God. So the other problem... Or one of the other problems was the other problem at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the other problem right now uh, was the influencer campaign. By now, almost everyone is aware that influencers have to make it clear when they're being paid to promote a product or event, and similarly, if they share affiliate links, they also have to make clear. Uh, <laughs> that's a bit of not that we've had our problems with this this week. Bit of a personal connection here <laughs> um uh yeah so and if you're sharing affiliate links you have to make that clear so the people they're supposedly influencing know that it's it's paid and not like just a a genuine random recommendation by someone with no stake in in the eventual purchase however the models didn't really do that so and
0: let's not blame them for that either because The marketing was a clusterfuck. Well, I'm sure
1: they weren't told to. (laughs) Yes. Um, Emily Ratajkowski was the only one to use hashtag ad, but uh, that was buried at the very bottom of her post. Now, hashtag ad is supposed to go at the beginning of the post so that there's no chance of people missing it. And when you know people like Kendall Jenner are being paid a cool... $250,000 to post one little orange square on Instagram, you know, transparency becomes pretty important. They're not good at that. These guys. No, uh, the other models who took part in the promo video were also paid, but the other influencers of which there were between 250 and 400 were offered tickets and a private villa in exchange for a single post.
0: But when you look at the prices, that's worth many thousands.
1: Yeah. Well, it's worth at least 500, and I'm guessing a lot more than that. But while
0: McFarland was busy thinking about getting as many influencers as possible to post about the event, other members of the event team were busy thinking about boring logistical things, like how to actually fit 10,000 people and their accommodation on the island which was barely big enough to fit a thousand (sighs) and provide toilet and shower facilities for all these people and like waste disposal and to feed them and then at this point is when they get kicked off norman's key but all this boring logistical stuff was like weighing down the fun of putting on a festival and pying with supermodels and influencers so of less than three months to go there was a massive turnover of staff And a new team came in to try and organize the festival
1: pretty much from scratch. And we all know what happened after that. Oh, God. So, the Netflix documentary details the series of unfortunate events which led to the world's greatest party that never happened. But if you haven't seen the film, uh, we'll give you a quick rundown of what happened. A new location was found, but instead of an uninhabited desert island, it was actually the island of Great Exuma, the largest of the Exuma Islands. Uh, The festival was to be held in an abandoned resort complex, but the luxurious glamping tents and villas that were advertised were replaced by FEMA disaster tents left over from a hurricane. No. <sighs> yeah. It's a hard pass. Yeah. Uh, like, not only does that sound terrible, it's insulting. Like, uh, I just... Ah. <sighs> now, if camping in a plastic tent in the Bahamas sounds painfully sweaty and horrible and just not, like, fun, don't you worry. Because there was a floor fan in each tent. Cause that's really all you need for your 500-plus yeah. tens of thousands of dollars tickets for your... Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, and you were on an airbed, not like a proper bed. No, no. Were, we couldn't. Airbeds. We couldn't have that. Um, the caterers were fired about three weeks out, and there was a mad scramble to find a caterer on the island who could do the food for 5,000 people. Because the numbers were being cut and tickets were being canceled because it was physically impossible to fit the originally planned 10,000 people into the area that they had booked. Great, great, great. Hundreds of day laborers were working from sunrise to sunset to build the sets, the bars, and the accommodation. Uh, Influencers who had promoted the festival in exchange for free tickets were also being canceled on because of the numbers. There's also a problem with housing the more elite and VIP guests who had paid for private villas and houses. The problem being that they had no houses and so they were booking them into Airbnbs in the local area, which was easier said than done because the weekend of the festival uh, was actually the busiest weekend of the year on Great Exuma Island because there was also a regatta taking place. And on top of all of this nonsense... The money was rapidly running out. So local contractors weren't being
0: paid. One woman was left $50,000 out of pocket after taking on the catering, not only for the festival, but for the staff who were building the event and the venues and everything, using her own savings to pay people who McFarland failed to pay. Nor were the homeowners who rented out their properties paid, despite the money supposedly being wired by McFarland or one of the like inner circle of you know, the festival team. Resources, including four truckloads of bottled water, were stuck in customs because they were owed over a hundred thousand dollars. <sighs> and if you've seen the Netflix documentary, you'll already be familiar with how one of the event managers almost had to give the head of customs a blowjob to get the water out of customs. Uh, yeah. um, and like yes it's a fun like it's a fun thing. And it's been made into gifts and memes and so many things after this film came out. But it just shows the extent of the problem. They were like, "Okay, we're going to need you to go and blow this guy because we need to get water." Yeah, like because <laughs> we owe him. I think it was like one
1: hundred seventy-five thousand. It was over, well over a hundred thousand. If it's come to that point, you've gone too far. Yeah, you're in too much trouble already. Yeah,
0: and. We don't really know how real that story is. It could have just been done for, like, comic effect in the documentary.
1: But I think... But it is fairly in line with how out of control the festival was becoming. Exactly. Even if that didn't... You know, even if it's not completely factually accurate, I feel like it is emotionally accurate to what the fuck was going on here. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, at this point, it might not be accurate, but... It could have been. It does fit. There's there's no with, like, doubt that everything
1: <laughs> it was a possibility.
0: Yeah. And as the money ran out, McFarlane began selling like private cabanas on the beach, other exclusive opportunities and various things to try and at least make a dent in their debts <laughs> and give them a little bit of cash flow. Uh. Then, less than a week before the festival. McFarland hit upon an idea to rapidly increase the festival's cash flow. Make it a cashless, cardless event. Suddenly, attendees would be given an RFID wristband, known as a fire band, which would be preloaded with however much money they'd put onto their fire account. And they were encouraged to put at least a minimum of $500 per day on their band. If I'm going to an event and then I get an email saying, okay, but It's going to be cashless and cardless now. And so you need to give us like the equivalent of like 500 a day. I'd be
1: like, fuck no. No. But just like also, I'm sorry. Like, I don't trust anyone enough to preload an RFID band with not just, forget hundreds of dollars. Like any dollars. Because Mm. I've been to music festivals in my time. Nothing ever works the way it's supposed to. All the technology never works. The internet's slow. The card machines don't connect. The ATM runs out of cash. Like anything that can go wrong will go wrong. I'm not trusting a fucking RFID reader in the Bahamas on the beach to work correctly. (laughs) Yeah. And so
0: they're saying like five hundred dollars a day. If you've already paid if your tickets only cost like five hundred dollars, or even if they cost like a thousand dollars, yeah. That's that's still more than lot. your tickets cost. Yeah. That you're then being asked to pay out again. Yeah. And that's stuff that people haven't budgeted for. Yeah. Also, what the fuck at a music festival costs five hundred dollars a day?
1: I mean, like that one bottle of water from the truck and customs, probably. <laughs> <I don't laughs> know, <for> sure, yeah. <laughs>
0: Stupid question right. Really. At this rate. Uh approximately two million dollars was put on two fire bands, around half of which was immediately used by McFarlane to pay short term bills. Uh. But the problem was these bands wouldn't work. Because as Taylor just said, there was connectivity problems at the festival site. Of course they were. Like Because like, even though it's not the like remote deserted island that Norman's Key was, it's still It's like, it does have, a, like, infrastructure, but there's still connectivity problems. Well,
1: and, the, and even if it was in, like, the most built-up city in the world, if you're on an abandoned, dis- disused resort that's littered with FEMA hurricane tents, chances are the infrastructure's not going to be great on that site alone. <laughs> no. Yeah, and these bans
0: were never tested. Of
1: course they weren't. Why would you do? Why would you test such a thing?
0: Yeah. Then at 6:20 a.m. on April 27th, the first festival
1: attendees arrived on Great Exuma. Oh, those poor fools! Um, festival goers were herded onto buses at the airport and encouraged to go to a beach party at a local beach bar, where they were applied with alcohol for hours until they grew restless. Because they wanted their luggage, they wanted to get to their accommodation, and, you know, go to the actual festival that they had paid thousands of dollars to attend. But the extra hours weren't enough for the crew to get the festival finished. (laughs) Uh, Nor were the many bottles of tequila enough for the attendees to realize that they weren't attending a luxury immersive music festival. Uh, The night was spent in the hurricane tents before attendees were bussed back to the airport and then locked in to the airport while airlines tried to get them back to Miami. And as the event imploded, the rest of the world got to watch it all happen in real time from the comfort of our smartphones. Also, where are all the musicians, supposedly?
0: (laughs) Like So Link one eighty two were the like one of the big headlining acts and they pulled out right at the last minute yeah. saying they couldn't give like a performance up to their standards. But they didn't think to mention, oh yeah, the site's not finished. <laughs> yeah. It's hurricane tents. Yeah. There's nothing that you know. Um but yeah, that's something that's not really covered. So Jar Rule wasn't there.
1: But yeah, I don't really know where everyone was <laughs> because i feel like uh, you know it's initially pitched as a concert and then it mm. spirals into like oh it's this music festival and then but then it seemed so much to become about like the the island like luxury mm. experience and i feel like people forget that it was supposed to be like a a concert like a yeah. coachella kind of thing you know yeah I think, I mean, I think
0: the the artists were cancelled pretty early on in that day, but not before the attendees, first attendees had landed. Yeah.
1: So that's good.
0: Because the documentary is a lot of reputation washing. Yes. Laundering for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's, I have, there is another documentary and it's on Hulu and I haven't seen that. Apparently that's a lot more critical. mm mm-hmm. But. Even like reading about it, you don't get a sense of who was in charge and who like where like you say, where were the artists yeah, like
1: uh, should have been there someone should have flagged this as an issue before thousands of people have showed up on a beach well, that's the other thing is that this first group there's only like
0: three four hundred people we don't even know. Where the rest were, if they were flying in later. And it was supposed to be held over two weekends. Yeah. So, was that meant to be 10,000 people per
1: weekend or was it like 5,000? Or And were people supposed to like each? come and then leave and then come back? Like, or was it two separate, two separate events? Yeah. There's like, but there was so little planning. <sighs> it like, it stresses me out so much just thinking about how I know. horribly planned this was. Ugh. Mm. <sighs> but alas. Hmm. So McFarland and fire media released an official statement canceling the festival citing quote circumstances out of their control. Sure. And uh, the statement assured attendees that they would be on flights out of great Exuma as soon as possible. McFarland and company all fled the Island over the next few days. Some literally running from angry locals who were demanding their money. Uh, one unverified story was that a female member of the fire team drove right up onto the runway in her rental car and when the car door wouldn't open she kicked the window out and climbed through the jagged glass and ran onto the plane leaving the rental car ignition running <laughs> and again even if that's not exactly true I you can't believe it I'd believe that it had happened <laughs> Uh, On the Monday morning after the festival,
0: as the Fire Media team were trying to figure out how to spin the greatest disaster of the influence age into something positive, it was announced that a $100 million class action lawsuit was being filed against Billy McFarland and Ja Rule, alleging fraud, breach of contract, breach of covenant of good faith, and negligent misrepresentation, along with a number of small lawsuits from individuals. Attendees had been offered either an immediate refund or a ticket to the fire Festival the following year. God. But those who opted for an immediate refund quickly realised that refund wasn't going to be immediate. If at all. And further smaller lawsuits were then filed when they realised they weren't getting their money back. Oh, God. Uh, The Bahamian Ministry of Tourism offered an apology on behalf of the country but also denied denied any knowledge of how events unfolded, which I think is fair. Yeah, like they gave the go ahead for this event; they didn't necessarily realize how much of a clusterfuck it was turning into.
1: Yeah, and also like, you know, you can you can approve an event or a a, a, a thing mm. to happen in in your country or whatever, but you. Like the government isn't responsible for the minutia of that event. Like, no, it, it and it should be expected that the company that's creating the event should actually create the event. <laughs> yeah. So they
0: offered an apology, and although Fire Media was offering attendees a chance to carry their tickets over to the following year's festival, the Bahamian Ministry of Tourism quickly put a stop to that to ensure that Fire Festival couldn't attempt a second run the following year.
1: That's good. That's good. That's good. Now, if you're like us, you might be thinking, well, why didn't they just cancel or postpone the festival? And it became blindingly obvious that they weren't going to be able to pull it off. Uh, Right up until the first flights were supposed to leave Miami, they had the chance to cancel, but they didn't they let the Hunger Games Influencer Edition play out. Uh, Well, as do most things in this story, that has a lot to do with money. So, first of all, Fire didn't take out festival insurance or any kind of event insurance, which would have allowed them to postpone or cancel without losing all of their money. So, instead, they had to attempt to put on some kind of event to limit the amount of claims that could be made for compensation okay so i actually have an example of an
0: event i was at a few years ago so i was at silverstone which is a racetrack in southern england i was at motor gp which is motorcycle racing the track had been resurfaced it's a very special kind of tarmac everything like that and the track flooded the weather was horrendous now obviously That is not the organization's fault. Yeah. And you can run race weekends in the rain. But what had happened was when they'd relayed the track, the camber hadn't been put down, right? So camber, any road, any track, anything that's got tarmac on is slightly angled so that the rain runs off. Yeah. So when you're on a racetrack, you need a level of camber to make sure the track doesn't get flooded and you can still run a wet race. Yeah. Silverstone hadn't done this. (laughs) And so when they'd spent millions resurfacing a racing track and it's very expensive to resurface a track. And they fucked it up and they had to redo it because there was no camber, so the track couldn't drain. So we sat through this for hours and hours and about mid-afternoon. I was with my dad and we were like, it ain't happening. Fuck this. We had two... Like, the first two days were brilliant. It was sunshine. It was glorious. Good Race day came. No. So... We left and we were like about an hour and a half after we left, we were on the motorway driving home, and um, I got news alerts saying it had been officially Mm cancelled. So we were glad we left when we did because it would have been an absolute clusterfuck to get out. But what Silverstone did, because they had event insurance, they offered us a full refund and we got discount tickets for the following year and special upgrades on those tickets. And entered into a prize draw. Yeah. But that is how you do it. Yes. And you offer, like, a proper apology and you take... You take accountability. And part of them not taking accountability and being like, Oh, it was out of our control, is, like, obviously limiting liability. Because if they admit it was their fault, they're then liable for all these refunds. Yes,
1: which these guys certainly didn't want to be. Right, so... Repaying ticket and tent packages wasn't the biggest financial problem that McFarland would have faced had the festival not gone ahead and not brought in any profits. No, in fact, the biggest issue McFarland was facing was that now he had to pay back his investors after telling them that they would be covered even if the event didn't go ahead or if there were any problems with the event because they had festival insurance that would cover everyone from investors to attendees. But, like we said, they didn't have festival insurance. So not only are we poorly planning, we're also lying now. Mm. And probably from the start. So, he's drowning in debt. With lawsuits stacking up, investors are coming knocking, and law enforcement has started to take an interest. So McFarland stopped paying the employees at Fire Media within a couple weeks of the failed festival. But he didn't terminate their employment, which would have allowed them to file for unemployment benefits. Instead, he kept them employed, but told them not to come into the office and told them that they wouldn't be getting paid. That is like... A special kind of evil. Yeah, that's just really shitty. <laughs> yeah, so on top of all this, that's around the time that the FBI came around.
0: Uh, many former employees of Fire Media and Fire Festival were contacted and spoke to the FBI as part of the investigation into McFarland and Jar Rule. And whilst they all know what absolute clusterfuck Fire Festival had turned into, their meetings with the FBI was... The first time most of them realised the extent of McFarland's crimes. So as well as ripping off attendees, which was now being pursued through civil suits, McFarland had been straight up defrauding investors. Now, as we all know, you can get away with murder, but you can't fuck with a taxman. Just ask Al Capone. It's very true. Actually, just ask the Trump presidency. That's very true. (laughs) I can not find, like, a lot of definitive numbers of how much it costs to run a music festival. But I did find an article breaking down the costs of running Burning Man. And this article says that in 2015, it cost uh, $35.8 million to run Burning Man. So that's £25.8 million or €30 million. I don't know about you, I can't, like, fathom what that kind of money looks like. No. But... To the circles that McFarland was running around in, that's small change or, like, a really easy investment opportunity. Yeah. And the number 38 million gets thrown around a lot in the Netflix documentary. But that's not including, like, artist fees and staffing costs, which also ran into the millions. Um. And McFarland was also using fire funding to pay off Magnesis cardholders card who were demanding their money back after buying tickets for events using their Magnesis account, but never receiving said tickets. And this is not to mention that, you know, a nice quarter of a million dollars reportedly paid to Kendall Jenner for one Instagram post. Plus, however much was paid to the other models and influencers, so we're not entirely sure of the cost of putting on Fire Festival. But I think it's stacking up to 40-50 million.
1: Easily. Now, because McFarland had spent the past four years running with the rich and famous in New York City and pretending he was one of them, he had plenty of connections with investors and venture capitalists. And conceptually, the Fire app was, was great and had potential to make a lot of money. It's easy to understand why investors were willing to take a gamble on Fire. But their excitement and enthusiasm for Fire was helped along with some overinflated figures from McFarland. Which is when we start to move into the territory of fraud. Now, according to the Netflix documentary, at the time of the festival, Fire had only made about $60,000. But McFarland was claiming to have made millions from it. He also vastly inflated claims of his own personal wealth, claiming, for instance, to own over $2 million of Facebook stock, when in fact he owned about $1,500 worth of stock. Big difference. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, On June 30th, less than two months after the festival failed, uh, Billy McFarlane was arrested and charged with fraud. Ja Rule somehow managed to get... (laughs) I can't even finish that sentence without laughing because it's amazing. Mm. Ja Rule somehow managed to get out of all of this pretty much scot-free. He was dismissed from all the civil lawsuits and wasn't arrested on fraud charges. So from the day the festival imploded, Ja Rule distanced himself, claiming that he had had nothing to do with the festival itself. And he then went on to develop ICON uh, with M. David Lowe, who was in charge of developing the Fire app, an icon is actually pretty similar to the Fire app in that you can use the app to book talent for your events.
0: McFarland, on the other hand, was not so lucky. He was released on a three hundred thousand dollar bond, claimed to be bankrupt, and that he was living in his parents uh, living with his parents in New Jersey. but that wasn't true. <laughs> Billy McFarland was Already working on his next con. Somehow, despite being bankrupt, supposedly both personally and his business has been bankrupt, McFarland was living it up in the penthouse of a Manhattan hotel along with another associate named Frank. And he was launching uh, NYC VIP Access. That is too many acronyms in a row. Yeah. And we know all about this because he, like with Fire, he hired a film production team to follow him around while he was on bail such so is his ego stupid. and you know conviction that he wouldn't be convicted oh god this was an absolute scam not even on the level of fire which you could argue had some kind of plan that went horrifically wrong NYC VIP Access sent emails to Fire Festival attendees offering cut-price tickets to events like the Victoria's Secret show, which they actually wrote Victoria Secret. Oh yeah, well then sure, not Victoria's. victoria's Secret is the name of a drag queen in Dublin. <laughs> I know because I have a friend who is friends with said drag queen. <laughs> well, um, so it we probably could get them discount tickets to that show. <laughs> You just have to fly from New York to Dublin. fine. Yeah. Uh, So along with the Victoria's Secret show, there was the Masters golf tickets, uh, the Met Gala, Coachella Festival, Burning Man Festival, and meet and greet with Taylor Swift. Now, there's a few problems with this. Taylor Swift famously doesn't do meet and greets. The Met Gala does not sell tickets. It is an exclusive invite-only event, and guests are approved by Anna Wintour herself. Coachella and Burning Man had not yet begun releasing tickets for the 2018 events nor did the sponsors have event uh, have like tickets yeah. to give out to their associates. Uh, some people who qui- who got these emails like quickly realized after speaking with friends, you know, who also bought tickets to fire, that someone was targeting fire festival attendees and the media quickly got involved. McFarland was rearrested on more charges of fraud. But not before he managed to make over $100,000 from this scam. Uh, it's
1: just wild. Oh, God. So March 2018, McFarland pleaded guilty to one count of wire fraud as part of a scheme to defraud investors and a second count of wire fraud in a related scheme to defraud a ticket vendor. He also admitted to using false financial documents to raise $27.4 million in investment for the festival. McFarlane was sentenced to six years in prison and ordered to pay back the $27.4 million. The class action lawsuit was actually settled this spring in May 2021, where the named attendees were each awarded $7,000. Uh, Other smaller civil suits have also been settled, and the claimants uh, awarded thousands in compensation. But because McFarland is bankrupt and incarcerated, uh, those lawsuits are basically IOUs, and people are still waiting for their money. Uh, McFarland is also subject to a lifetime ban from serving as a company director or corporate officer, Head of marketing for Fire Festival, Grant Mongolin, is subject to a seven-year ban from serving as a company director or corporate officer and received a $35,000 fine. Along with screwing over the employees by not terminating their employment or allowing them to file for unemployment, McFarland also racked up serious debt on the company Amex, which M. David Lowe is now being sued for, as well as employees' personal credit cards. There is some good news, however, in all of this very bad news. Uh, Since the stories of the Bahamian people who worked on the festival and never got paid have been told in various documentaries, fundraisers have raised more than $200,000 to pay back the caterer who wiped out her own savings paying workers, and the rest will be distributed among those who worked on the festival and spent in the local community. Uh, and that is the story of the fraudulent fire festival, the greatest party that never happened. Well, fuck. That's a lot. Thoughts? Just a major shit show.
0: Yeah. To be honest, to me, it like smacks of like, spoiled brats who've never been told no before. In what regard? The and just like the way they like they're being told like this will not work, and they're like no 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 it will and it's just kind of like it's kind of, well it's not so much not being told no before but never had to clean up their own shit before. So this is it's this all, is the like,
1: organizers, not the attendees. Yeah. No, the the oh, yeah. organizers. No, I agree with that. It's like, like it's. I think also it's just this these people who were supposedly organizing it may have attended festivals like they wanted this to be in the past but never actually stopped to think all mm-hmm. of the different things that go into this sort of thing and just kind of yeah. like, kind of like you said like just think oh well someone else will take care of that boring detail i want to hang out on yeah. a yacht like so mm-hmm. it's it's like a it's a lack of understanding about business it's a lack of understanding about finances and it's mm-hmm. just like willful well, i think there's an element of that but i think there's also with mcfarland an element of like willful misleading and but- fraud He's, he's a con man, and the cons have
0: just got bigger and bigger. Yeah. To, and he'd never, you know, like Magnesis had been conning members out of like tickets, prices, and things like that. And it had never caught up with him. So I was like, okay, let's go one bigger.
1: I still don't understand how that happened, though, because if it's. If people were just buying. If the Magnesis card was their own bank account, mm-hmm. how could that money. So they were paying Magnesis, who was then supposedly going to buy the tickets for them, or... So so Magnesis was
0: offering, like, okay, for our members, here's, like, a ticket to Beyonce at, like, half the, like, market value. Okay. So so they they were were then paying,
1: they were paying Magnesis for the tickets. That makes more sense, because it's, like, if if you're saying, oh, use this discount code on Ticketmaster or something. No. Yeah. It was yeah. That's that's way shittier. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. So they were taking money and then not giving the tickets. Essentially, no. Um, Like, I mean, it is it is kind of a Ponzi scheme. Yes, it. Well, it is. He's using his. He's just constantly drawing in new investors and new members and attendees to pay off everyone else. Yeah, and
1: it it it's like it's short term. It's like robbing Peter Mm -hmm. to pay Paul yeah um
0: there is a lot of reputation laundering going on in the documentaries so fuck jerry also known as jerry media Mm -hmm. did like all the social media for fire festival and they claimed to have no idea what was going on like oh we didn't know we just ran their promotion and it turned out apparently according to the hulu documentary which i've only read about i haven't watched According to that, they knew full well what was going on. <laughs> of course. But they had a lot of creative control in the Netflix documentary, so they could essentially wash their hands of it. Yeah, yeah. And be like, oh no, when we realized what was going on, we were like, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> this is over. Goodbye. Okay. Pass, give all the credentials along to the new marketing team. Oh, God. And that's the way, as though they were like sacked for like having morals and it was actually... Not. Nah, they were abandoning a sinking ship they knew what was going on apparently yeah they had a lot of creative control over that documentary yeah. so they could decide how they were portrayed The the kind of people who were involved all had a good financial safety net yeah on that side of it, obviously the the a lot of the locals didn't, didn't. they are still owed thousands yeah. but all these these people who were brought in and who were hired they all had a good level of standing they all seem to have a good financial safety net and it's a lot of like oh well i told you so well so why didn't yeah, you walk so away then, or why didn't why didn't you go to the fbi and tell them what was going exactly on?
1: like why did you wait for the fbi to come why to you? wasn't it reported <laughs> yeah yeah uh and um, that's the thing like for a lot of this story like I don't care about the people who were sort of, like, saying, oh, I was led on and invested in this, but didn't realize... Like, I don't care about the guy who, you know, invested $100,000. Because, like we said before, it's like chump change to a lot of these uh, investors. I care Mm -hmm. about the guy who is building probably what couldn't have been more than like little wooden boxes on the beach for people to sleep in and we're spending hours in the heat at like doing manual labor, not getting paid, not getting fed, like all of this stuff. Mm. Like, it's just so awful.
0: (sighs) Yeah. And I remember it happening. Like I'd never heard of it, heard a fire until it went wrong. Yeah,
1: same. I remember seeing like everyone, all of a sudden it was like oh, this thing is literally blowing up right this second. Yeah. and So I kind of remember that happening.
0: And I remember all the jokes, all the memes and everything about because, yeah, tickets were costing like $100,000, $200,000. Yeah. Those people I'm going to laugh at. If you've got a quarter of a million to drop on tickets to a festival that you have no idea what's happening. It's never been like, first of all, it's never been been run run before. before. Yeah. If, if you can just like shell out quarter of a million, just like that. Yeah. That's on you. Yeah. I feel sorry for, as well as like other people, you said like the, the locals and everyone who weren't paid. I feel sorry for the people who spent like $500, $1,000 on what was essentially spring break. Yeah. Which. Because it was like, it was like, it was like Instagram come to life, and it was like okay, so I can get a ticket for a thousand dollars, and I can go and party. Yeah, I can go to the, like, like a Caribbean island,
1: video. and and like to be fair, that is more than the average like festival ticket costs, but it's mm. not horrendously more.
0: No, and it did include return flights from Miami, Miami. Yeah, so like, and it included your accommodation. So it's actually. Not terrible. No, no. like it, it's more than I would pay. Yeah, same. But I suppose it
1: depends. It depends what you want out of a holiday. Yeah, and also <laughs> imagine showing up and you've spent your five hundred dollars. You've put a thousand dollars on your fucking bracelet, and then you're standing in the hot sun being basically force fed alcohol so that hopefully you won't notice all the problems around you Mm. you're sleeping in a fucking fema tent and then you're being shoved back into the airport and told you're gonna leave now and like i'm sure getting absolutely no valuable information this entire time like that sounds just horrific yeah. And like, so a lot of people do like blatantly have like put
0: blame at like a lot of the, you know, the models and influencers. They had no idea. They were paid to post this thing. Okay, cool. Yeah. Here's like here's some money, post this, or we'll post this and we'll give you tickets to this festival, it's on this, and if it's coming through an agency as well, you're like, Okay, it's legit.
1: Yeah. And and like, how the hell are they supposed to know what bank accounts that money is coming from? Exactly. I think the other thing about the documentary that really struck me when I was watching it was, like, it's literally just, like, a handful of people kind of hanging out and just deciding, like, hey, guys, we're gonna do a festival in, like, in in mm. the same way of, like, hey, guys, let's go put on a play in the barn, and like but they're playing with millions of dollars and it like that the thing that's the thing to me because like even just planning a fucking birthday party to me is so much headache and frustration like organizing (laughs) people's schedules and figuring out venues and restaurants and whatever or planning our wedding we had the smallest fucking wedding in the world (laughs) But it was still a pain in the ass. How many guests did you have? Was it ten ten guests? Plus the photographer? Ten guests. And, like, it it was a very cheap wedding in terms of all the weddings that have ever existed. But, like, just that alone was so stressful that I don't remember half of the wedding. And so, like, (laughs) knowing that, knowing how to plan an event with ten people, and then Hmm. thinking about like basically taking two more people than were involved in planning our wedding or four more people and saying, "Hey guys, let's make a music festival on a Caribbean island for 10,000 people." It's just mm. fucking like they should have known yeah. better. <laughs> it it's just I think that's the thing that really gets me. It's just like so frustrating. It's like, of course this is going to implode. Because you didn't yeah. you didn't do it. You didn't plan it.
0: Yeah. And same question that's posed at the end of or towards the end of the Netflix talk. Have we heard the last of Billy McFarland?
1: No. I don't think so.
0: He's got what, three years of his sentence left? Yeah. So if he's been behaving himself, he could be out like next year. Yeah. <sighs> I think in the next few years he's going to be running some new scam.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, like, unfortunately, these documentaries, this exposure, like, people are gonna see him and there are some people in the world who are gonna say, I want to hang out with this guy and get in with him because he already knows how to defraud people out of millions of dollars, so I want to do that Mm. too. And then I can just blame it on him, and he can go back to prison. Like, you know, someone's <laughs> thinking that, yeah, right. So, yeah.
0: And um, <sighs> one of the contributors in the documentary says, like, he, Bill McFarland, was a master of
1: separating consumers from their cash. That's true. So I think he'll pop up again, and mm. may well go to prison again, and. <laughs> all sorts yeah. of fun things but yeah so that is our take on the fire festival wow what a what a ride but yeah so that is that is us for this week if you like the show do be sure to rate and review us on your podcast app especially apple podcasts and subscribe to us so you never miss a new episode that doing that you know doesn't take much time and it really does help us get in front of more people who might like the show but might not have found it otherwise so we do really appreciate when you leave reviews and ratings Um, if you're looking for a good way to keep up with all of our latest endeavors we would love to send you our monthly newsletter it's a fun little email that collects all the important details of what we're doing each month, including any merch discounts, bonus episode topics, uh, and other fun surprises. And you can sign up super easily by heading to squaremileofmurder.com newsletter. We'll never spam you or sell your info. We'll just send you cool updates and fun stuff. Promise.
0: And if you would like to, you know, rep Square Mile of Murder in the streets, as the kids are totally not saying, um, we have a merch store, and for the whole of July, we're offering you 30% off, because I'm 30 this month. Actually, by the time this goes out, I'll have been, I will now be 30. It's happened to all of us now. (laughs) So, the link to the merch shop is in the episode description. And I say code is wow, W-O-W, 30,
1: Because, oh, wow, I do not look 30. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so do be sure to check that out. And that code is, is good for the entire month. And um, if you do buy some merch, and post it on social media and tag us. Yeah. Because we'd love to see it, and we'd love to share your photos on our feeds, and um, just, you know hear all about it and hear what you think because we're you know we want to know if you guys buy merch if you like it if you don't like it like we want to help make it the best we can so do give us some feedback yeah and uh we will
0: be back next week with a brand new episode so we'll see you then yes thank you very much for listening bye bye